Welcome to Dry Clean Only Conversations on Fashion and Style. I'm your host, Kristen Cole in New York. I'm a fashion consultant with 20 years experience in the industry as a high concept retailer, fashion director, founder, and buyer. I'm here for all the conversations around the many changes in fashion right now. And that's what I'm bringing to you on this pod. I hope you enjoy. where I have the pleasure of speaking with BPCM's founders, Vanessa Von Bismarck and Carrie Phillips, two very seasoned communications experts who share their insights on the metaverse, NFTs, and the changing landscape and requirements for connecting with the audience in today's PR and comms plans. They're great, and I actually learned a lot from our conversation, so I hope you do too. It's a busy time. It's the first official day of New York Fashion Week, Spring 23 Collections. People will be talking about Fendi today, Kalina Strada, Proenza, Finoel. Last night, I attended my first cocktail party of the season in the West Village to celebrate Parto's 10-year brand anniversary. Lots of great energy last night all around downtown with the party at Indochine, Lower East Side Gallery openings, so many fashion and art happenings. Uh, but let's not get too, too distracted by all the fun and fashion month. November is coming. Mark your calendars. We are two months away to the day from the most exciting day of the year, the midterm elections, critical election for the fate of our democracy and to protect women's rights and all human rights, really. I'll be voting blue across the board, of course, November 8th. Circle it. Mark your calendars. Get your absentee ballots if you're traveling. And for more info, go to moveon.org or Emily's List, which stays super current. The Venice Film Festival overtaking all feeds right now with delightful dramatics and distraction. Uh, Don't worry, darling. The cast uh, has been leading the way in the news. I've been most moved by Florence Pugh's stunning Valentino haute couture glittery black tulle dress. Just incredible. Love her. And lots of people talking about NFTs this week and the metaverse, two topics I touch on with the ladies today. Really informative, actually. I feel like it's starting to break through for me a little bit. Uh, Okay, so now on to what we are here for, my conversation with Vanessa von Bismarck and Carrie Phillips, who joined me today via Zoom from two different locations. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. You're in Connecticut? I'm in Connecticut. And where are you, Vanessa? I'm at a dinner in Sweden right now. Oh my gosh. What are you doing in Sweden? I'm just visiting family. My brother has a place here, so I'm here with the kids. And and we came to these people's place for dinner tonight. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, you're so sweet to to join me and seriously jump off after 10 minutes. We only record for 30. All right. So you guys have been in business for about 20 years. 2023. Yep. You started in the nineties. How has the landscape of PR and communications changed in that time? Is it like wildly different? Oh my God. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so it, it is widely different from all aspects. Yeah. Uh, it is widely different from the way you, uh, the way you disperse information to the platforms that you disperse this information to. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, to the way you look at telling a story and and uh, whereas you, you were completely product focused in the beginning, now you're completely consumer focused mm -hmm. and trying to understand, you know, where this consumer gets influenced, you know, nothing to do with influences, but it, I mean, it has something to do with influences at some point on that, on that scale, but, but it's really where this person's attitude towards something gets influenced. And, um, and and I think that really changes the game um, in a big way for um, for agencies to 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 change the way they think and speak to uh, to the consumers through whatever platform they choose, mm -hmm. and for the clients who have a really hard time thinking differently about how to connect with with their audiences. So, um, yeah, so there's multiple education levels going on. I'd almost say that the point of it is the same, which is which has always been to connect yeah. to the end uh, audience, right? Yeah. To connect to the audience for whatever it is yeah. um, that you need them to connect to, whether it's, you know, it could be a performance or it could be a face cream or it could be a watch or it could be something that they're going to eat or drink. Yeah. It's always been to connect them to those things so that they can make a choice. Yeah. And now it's sort of the thing that's changed is the perspective or the, the landscape. I would almost, Vanessa and I used to laugh because we started in really in fashion, fashion. And it was always, it was almost always men who would say this, but they go, well, my woman this season wants this and my woman wants this. I remember and those days. Yeah. Vicious. What Vanessa and I was like, who is this woman? Like, and yeah. they would say the most ridiculous things. She's going to Saint Tropez after she goes camping in the Catskills. And she just wants something that's going to take her from day to night. And we're like, who is she? Yeah, and now I what totally people say that. with yeah. sort of new brands, what they say is like, we have found a white space. Yeah. Gone from being about a fictitious woman. Yeah to identifying places in the market that may actually not be tapped yet, but it's the exactly. same thing. It's about figuring out who that person really is yep. and how to speak to them. If you want to speak to them. That's very interesting. And where did you guys meet? Did you meet in London or New York or how did you all come together? I was Carrie's intern. No way. I always yeah. let her say it because it gives her such, such glee. Such yes. Um, we met at a, at a PR firm in New York City and uh, Vanessa, okay. I had asked for a German speaking intern and I, I, I got Vanessa. Amazing. Oh, We've been working so for longer than me, but in a totally different industry and was Amazing. way savvier and smarter than I was. And I was like, I that's guess so I'll sweet. try to teach you something. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're my intern. Okay. That's really cute. What agency were you at at that point? Nike Communications. So okay. not Nike, the shoe brand, but, but Nike. Communications. The, has the PR industry, or I don't know if you identify as PR or communications or somewhere in between, has it consolidated a lot? I don't, Vanessa and I are not afraid of the word PR. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't work as a catch all for everything that we do. And I think that's really what's changed with what I would say are communications agencies where you have to have the PR, the storytelling, the influencer, yeah. the media, the understanding of paid affiliate, all of the places that touch a yeah. customer. Do you, um, a lot of people talk about how fashion has become, you know, synonymous with content or, you know, synonymous with entertainment. Do you guys see that? Or do you, is that just like a cynics statement? I mean, I don't know whether it has 
I think they have become savvier. A lot of them have become savvier at, um, at telling their own stories. Yeah. And, and there are platforms now uh, where they can, you know, like before websites were not so interesting, but today you have Instagram, which yeah. is a flipboard like of just content. So yeah. all of a sudden, I think uh, fashion uh, brands, any any brands really have uh, have found a way to share their content and uh, and um, and control their messaging a little bit like that, mm-hmm. you know. But also connect to an audience, whereas yeah. before you really had to type in that URL, you know, had to you had to go to Google, then you had to Google the name, they had to put in the website, you know. Today on Instagram, you go like this, and 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 you can be exposed to a brand even if you don't follow them. So and without the gatekeepers of the press, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Vanessa, I know. And since you're at a dinner party, I want to ask you your questions first, but what do you think what's happening with your firm in terms of web three and the metaverse and digital fashion and all of these wonderful topics that are, I think that uh, we see an opportunity uh, for us to sit in a connecting space between Web3 and the sort of luxury lifestyle industry, like not just fashion, right? right. Uh, I think there's a lot of education that still has to happen. I think there is, um, you know, I think Web3, there's there's a lot of things going on, right? There's Sandbox, which is, uh, which is an interesting concept but in terms of an audience, it really doesn't have much of an audience yet. I don't know anything about Sandbox. It's fine. I mean, I, you know, there, there are various different platforms where you can have your brand uh, manifest in some shape or form. Um, so in Sandbox, for example, you can create a shopping mall, if you like, or a store. And in that store, you could have various uh, experiences like mini games and things like that. And then the people could win uh, an NFT, for example, right. uh, in your store, yeah. but it's like Lego. So it is not exactly uh, the most upscale representation of, of a brand, if you like. Right. So, and it doesn't really have much of an audience yet. I think, uh, you know, there's many other ways in which uh, brands can um, go into Web3. They can go into Roblox, right. where you have an audience but then you have to be the right kind of brand you can go into going into roblox that is a real that's a real long game move is that is that seeding for your future generations or is that in any way connecting with the audience for sure but because this younger audience influences their parents yeah and, and if they say, oh, my God, the coolest thing of Chanel, na, 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 is in Roblox, all of a sudden it gives Chanel a certain cool factor that then trickles back up to yeah. the next generation, right? But also it, it brings that younger audience in to want to be part of that universe. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't work for every brand, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty expensive. You have to really make a deal with Roblox, and uh, and it has to be relevant to uh, to that you know to that to brand to the brand. That's interesting. But um, then you have also got like uh, the NFT strategies, just straightforward NFT strategies, which is really where brands and and yeah brands 
start mm -hmm. because it allows them to create um, utility tokens that can be sort of loyalty program driven mm -hmm. is in which they can connect with their consumers, you know, and then you have the art, you know, how brands always love to collaborate with artists. Yeah. It's an easy way for a brand to test out the NFT market and how their audience would react to it by connecting with an artist and creating an NFT. Right. That then and you can kind of check the temperature if you like. Yeah. But Do you feel like it's trendy or just very early in this and experimental still? I think it's still very early. Yeah. That I think a lot of people have made a lot of money because this whole sort of sneakerhead group, if you like, yeah. they love to adapt things early. They yeah. love things. Uh, it's a bit like the old version of collecting baseball cards. Yeah. So they're NFTs yeah. and those artists, those digital artists or those uh, collaborations um, and the NFTs that are attached to those might one day be worth a lot of money. It's the same yeah. way as people bought Bitcoin, whatever, what is it now, 15, 17 years ago, something like yeah. that, for nothing. And everybody thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. I think yeah. also there's this idea of everybody knows they have to get into crypto and I'm using yeah. my air quotes. Yeah. Um, and I think that NFTs are one of those ways where you think that it's almost, there's like a, almost a little bit more inherent value there because we've seen crypto go like this, like to Vanessa's point that, you know, Bitcoin was nothing. And then it was just people made gazillions of dollars and then the bottom fell out of it and then it came back again, you know, so you just see the volatility in that crypto market. So I think for people, the idea of marrying art and cryptocurrency in an NFT, it almost is like a stabilizer for value. So like in your crypto wallet, would you rather have some Ethereum or would you rather used Ethereum to buy a Tom Sachs rocket factory rocket right. that is yours, you own it, you could potentially sell it. It probably will maintain more inherent value. You'll be able to, that value is going to be assessed at a different market rate than um, the one in crypto. So I think it's just... I agree with Vanessa. It's very early. It's also very interesting. I don't really get it, but I, it is very interesting. I'm just curious, like, where does the social currency or where do you guys perceive the the social currency or the, the value to the NFT collector? Like I collect art and paintings and sculptures and I get to live with it and people come over and we talk about it. How do you, if I'm collecting NFTs, like what do people do with it? Is there some way that you are showing people what you collect? Is there, what's, what's the payoff? Okay, so th there's a few interesting things here. So one is with your baseball card collections that you had before, right? It's very similar that okay. way. So you, you know, you exchange with your friends, what you collect, Nana, there's a whole community. They talk about nothing else yeah. on Board or or even Twitter, they use quite a bit. But there's the other thing also, which I heard, which made so much sense to me that in the future, you're going to be interviewing people. And when you interview them, you're going to look at their social media profiles. And then you're also going to look at their wallets to see what they collect. So you understand whether they have uh, whether you you see whether they have an understanding about what's culturally relevant today what's right. you know or did they get an nft that speaks to sustainability or did they get an nft that you know that makes sense so it's kind of the next iteration of the way we look at people's social profiles right now or, hmm. yeah 
That's interesting. And then on the other side of that coin, and I'm very unknowledgeable in this sphere, but very concerned about climate change, of course. I've read a number of articles about the carbon footprint associated with crypto and Bitcoin harvesting and all of that. Is the energy consumption a concern to, I mean, you guys are very well-versed in this field. Is that something that people are glossing over or is it something that can really be addressed in a responsible way? Yeah, absolutely. I think, so what you're talking about is basically server farms, right? Server farms have to work really, really hard to um, mine different currencies. That's addressed really well in a book that Tatiana Slosberger wrote called um, Inconspicuous Consumption. I highly recommend it to any of you. this to me. I need to read this. I highly recommend it to any of your listeners. She talks about these sort of hidden places where our carbon footprint is, but with a lot of like wit and warmth and intelligence, she's great. So anyway, you know, you think of like the internet, like, oh, it's just happening on the internet. Well, the internet uses an enormous amount, um, creates an enormous amount of heat through server farms, which require air conditioning. And my photo storage, which you mentioned when we talked and I was like, oh, right. Yes. The thousands of photos I have. Exactly. Like, you know, that we never edit and we just think they just live out there and they're not hurting anybody. And in fact, it's like a giant mess of a closet in your house that you would eventually clean out, but you don't because you don't think of it. So it's been a huge issue. It's been talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the beginning of this, again, we're so early in the beginning of this crypto bro culture, nobody cared. And then people started to raise the red flag. So there's things you've seen. So there, we've seen a lot of offsets and with people recognizing that offsets are not enough, right? Offsets are not enough. And then at first it was like, well, does the brand pay for the offset or does the purchaser pay for the offset? You know, depending on who you are, one looks more attractive than the other. Um, Now what's happening is that the way things are mined is changing. Ethereum changed the way that they mine things to be significantly different. Less energy. Less energy, but it's still, there is still a footprint. There is a footprint to anything we do. Um, And I think what one of the things that is interesting and I don't understand enough about yet, but I'm starting to, we're starting to dive deep on with some of our clients and some of the projects that we're doing through our own Web3 studios is how we can positively affect the physical world by using Web3, how we can preserve natural resources mm-hmm. um, as a function of using Web3 to create NFTs that protect, restore like old growth forests and things like that. So there's well, interesting stuff right. coming. Like too much to get into today, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When I when I finally understand it, I promise to come back and talk about it. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Okay, that's really interesting. And then you guys, so I've worked with different publicists over the years, very boutique, small, you know, fashion agencies, art agencies. How do you guys identify this Mark Phillips? Are you guys a, because I know you have offices in London, LA, New York. How do you position yourselves in the in that landscape? Well, so we changed the name to BPCM mm-hmm. uh, many years ago because it was very long when it became Bismarck Phillips Communications and Media. Yeah. <laughs> I think we identify, it's hard, you know, we have a bit of a, we have a hard time boxing ourselves in. Yeah. Because the minute we do sort of say we are strategic communications right. We start doing something else for clients and we're like, and and this whole strategic word, we're using the word strategic is a bit like the word 
like <laughs> we overuse it. <laughs> so I think we like to be partners for our clients in achieving their goals that relate to uh, sharing their news and messages and positioning their brands. You know, it's sort of, I think that's, for me, that's the, the most authentic way to say what I do every day with the clients. That's great. How many clients do you have? Do you guys have a large roster? We, we do because it spans three offices and many different practices and departments. So yeah. I never count. <laughs> and are you both based in the New York office, essentially? We are. We're both based in New York. And, and your, your offices, I looked at Burn in Dumbo. They are. We moved to Dumbo about a year ago. Awesome. How do you like it? I used to live in Dumbo years ago. I, I love I it. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I have to say of all the offices we've had, it's definitely the prettiest. And, you know, we, you know, you get to look at Manhattan every day and our, we have a beautiful roof deck and lots of gorgeous space. It's been a little odd because of, you know, pandemic work from home, hybrid work situation, but yeah. it feels really good when there's lots of us in it. And yeah, of course. Okay. So Carrie, um, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you all about sustainability in terms of fashion clients. Do you have any that, sorry, I'm so interested in fashion. I know you do okay. other things. What, what fashion clients <laughs> have, you, have you worked with over the years that you feel like you've done meaningful work in? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's across the board. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've worked with Hermes for over a decade and it's such a beautiful relationship. It's, you know, there's so much trust there. Um, such a gorgeous brand. I mean, it's, and it's really, it's, it's such a masterclass in yeah. how to maintain brand integrity while still having fun. I mean, that yeah. brand has Hermes has and manages in everything that they do to have a sense of joy mm-hmm. and I don't know what the right detail, word is. I think it's just and, wonder, and while being the pinnacle of mm-hmm. luxury that everyone sure. else is chasing. And, it, and, you know, you can have that positioning, but to maintain that positioning is truly a challenge on the mark of a special, special brand. And I, I think for me, that's, that's what great. our mess is. Their, you know, new, their stores about, are always so beautiful. And I, oh. and I can't believe they opened in Austin. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Um, you know, I think in terms of companies in the fashion world that we've gotten to do meaningful work with, I just, you know, for me, that meaningful work is, is usually all around the environment or all around sustainability. So the things I'm proudest of is helping Kelly Slater when he started out or known, um, yeah. and just helping him tell that story in a way that, you know, there was so much education at that point. I think yeah. this was eight years ago, nine years ago, that ne- there was so much education that needed to be done. For sure. Four editors around, yeah, around um, what what was real, what wasn't, what was greenwashing, what wasn't, um, and so that was like a really for me that was a really beautiful experience. Then I think about you know we work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who promote uh, circularity in the circular economy, and and the project we work with is called Make Fashion Circular, yeah. and we worked with them in the creation of something called the Jeans Redesign Project. Mm-hmm. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And um, their signatories created something where they created the uh, guidelines by which denim could become more recyclable than it is today. Wow. And then what we were able to do is take our relationships and get brands to sign on to do that. So, you know, of course it was, it was people who are already doing sustainability, but then, you know, people like the gap 
people like Levi's, you know, big giant companies came on Mm -hmm. and were willing to come in and try this. And so for me, that kind of stuff is truly meaningful because it, it starts to help us move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any predictions of what's, what's going to happen in fashion in terms of sustainability? Cause I feel like it's obviously, you know, hit such an inflection point. Everyone's talking about it. What do yeah. You I mean, listen at this point, I didn't, I always hoped it would get to this point, but I, I didn't dare dream at this point, you know, sustainability or using preferred materials, being aware of your supply chain, having an understanding of your effect on your, your world outside of just your, what your customers buy and what you sell them is table stakes. Now at at BPCM, we, we still, you know, brands from very mature to just beginning Mm -hmm. still come to us all the time. And it's the first question. It's, it's one of the first questions we ask and they have an answer. Usually they have an answer. And sometimes the answer is like, we're just not there yet. We don't know what to do. Help us. Or the answer is, okay, here's where our materials are coming from. And here's how we're sourcing. And here's how we're always part of that. And here's what we're doing differently. Yeah. Before, I mean, we used to have to be the people who started the conversation um, with, with brands. And a lot of the times there was sort of glazed eyeballs. Now there's no glazed eyeballs. There's either, Ooh, let us tell you what we're doing or there's panic because they haven't done anything yet. So, and both of those things are okay because it means that there is cognition. Yeah. 100%. No, that's so true. Yeah. It's just even three or four years ago, it was like, there were the sustainable brands and they were in that little bucket. And then, but now it's like, everyone is at least making an effort or, you know, is somewhere along that journey, maybe not very far, but pretty incredible what's happened over the past few years. I think so. And I think, you know, there's sort of, now there's sort of levels in the, you know, right now, sort of your entry point is, uh, what does your supply chain look like? Are you treating people fairly in it? What are your um, materials? What- Right. What materials are you using? Are they organic? Are they regenerated? Are they, are they they virgin? How are you, you know, how are you sourcing those things? And that's kind of step one. Now, if you look at organizations like the textile exchange or um, brand companies like caring, they're talking about biodiversity. They're talking about um, regenerative farming um, and paying ranchers to, grow, you know, to grow cattle regeneratively so that they can sequester more carbon while still understanding that they need to sell bags to people in order to stay. So it's really interesting because there's, you know, that's, that's the next level of depth. So after that, what's it going to be? I don't know. It's very exciting. There's having that kind of buying power and that, you know, of purchasing power behind it is really exciting because I feel like for a while it was all these niche little brands trying these things, which is wonderful in um, example, but not moving the needle, you know, in any measurable way. What's like your favorite neighborhood in New York? Where do you like to hang out and go out? My New York, when I first moved was the West Village and I lived in the West Village for a really long time and I still love it. For me, like a glass of wine at Pisolino while I'm waiting for a table at Via Carota is like my favorite thing. That's I love my, that. That's my jam too. That's, yeah. where I had, um, <laughs> that's where I had dinner with John and Nick recently. Oh yeah. Place. I mean that we can go do that anytime. It's my jam. I was just in Italy and I was, you know, drinking many an Aperol spritz. The Italians are, isn't this so special for you? And I'm like, I mean, I kind of get this all the time. But <laughs> yes, but it, it holds up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I, I would say if I 
if I was going in for just a day and I could do just one thing, it would probably. I know. I that. love that. I love that. If you were going to, because I have a lot of, um, you know, emerging designers who listen to this podcast, if you had to boil down the essence of a communication strategy into one starting point, because it is, you know, perhaps overwhelming with, you know, so many mm. outlets, what would you, what advice would you give? The first question we always ask, why are you here? Mm. Right. Why are you here? And the answer can't be because I'm talented. It can be anything. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to look for is how are you going to connect mm-hmm. the reason that you are here, the reason that this brand exists and why it, why does it, it's not about why does it deserve to exist, but if it, does it exist to connect? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, that's really the question. People, this is a different world. People have so much choice. I know there's nothing you can't find, right? There's nothing you cannot find on the internet. So why do you exist? Like, and, and that's somebody once said to me, that's such a mean question. And I said, no, very existential. it's really, and truly not a mean question. It is, it's meant with a deep and abiding curiosity. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's like the essence. Why are, why are you? Yeah, why are you? Yeah, because if you know why you're there, communication strategy comes pretty simply because if you understand your own DNA, yeah. you just really move outward true. from there, right? Everything else circles around that hole. We always say that even with sustainability, people say like, well, what should we be doing first? I'm like, well, tell me what your brand is. Tell me who you are at the core of your brand. Is your right. brand about women? Exactly. Then you tell me your brand is about women but you're talking to me about doing something around water. Of course, water is a wonderful thing, right? Like what, like we need to think about clean water and clean air, but actually your entire supply chain is probably women. So what are we doing for women? Look at that. Inside your supply chain. That is like, if you're looking for a place to focus, go where your passion is. It's such a noisy environment. You know, when I talk to designers about, you know, things they can be doing, I always tell them to open up a store because I am retail focused and that's what I miss being able to go, you know, connect with brands in person, try things on, touch, feel, and like be immersed in that brand DNA, like going into an Hermes shop, which is a sticky experience you leave and you're like, I know what this brand is. What would you, what would you say is like, from your point of view, the best way to break through the noise in a meaningful way. Cause I feel like we, we scroll, we flip. It's, it's so hard to make that, you know, deeper connection. That's a hard one because it's so specific know. to who the brand is, right? Yeah. Having- I mean, I, I listen, I think that there is something right. Like I'm in my mid forties. Mm-hmm. I love discovery. Yeah. I love, but I love discovery in person. I don't trust online discovery the way I trust in-person discovery or the way I trust if someone I know or someone who knows someone I know recommends something, I am much more likely to buy it. Right. So, but that might be a Gen uh, X experience, right? Not a, that's a total Gen X experience. You know, as a marketer, I know, I understand what's happening to me as it happens to me. Right. A friend of mine the other day was, was having uh, dinner with me and she said, oh, where's your t-shirt from. And I told her and two seconds later, what size did you get? She's on her phone. She bought the t-shirt Yeah, is, you know, delivered to her the next day. Right. That's not because I'm an influencer. That's because someone that I trust who experienced me in person wearing the t-shirt. Exactly. Trust me. And probably if I had said on my Instagram account, Oh, I'm wearing this t-shirt and da da da, She would have been like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Now my daughter 
doesn't care about Instagram. She's almost 13. She cares about what her friends look at. She cares, but, but like not in a sycophantic way, right? She's observing. So her things are are TikTok, but more so Snapchat and Snapchat is them just going back and forth. You're not going to market to them the same way. Use Snapchat the way you use Instagram or Facebook marketing. It's just not going to work the same way. Completely different languages. Absolutely. Now, if a creator on TikTok, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm also like, I'm the first person to buy something from an Instagram ad. I know I'm being targeted. I know, you know, but they, they're really artful about what they're targeting me with sometimes. sometimes not so much, but okay. But I have, I'm definitely have bought stuff that mm-hmm. that's not how she works. She daughter loves to like act and sing and, and, you know, she's a performer. And so she just sent me today a link to somebody who's an acting coach that she saw on TikTok, And she's like, I like the way he teaches I think this would be helpful for me, makes the case for it. And mom is now getting her, you know, love it. Love it. So interesting. Yeah. It wasn't an ad, right? It was much more natural. Whole different funnel. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Sorry for Anyway, super nice to meet you, Kristen. And if you have any questions, I'm always available a little earlier in your day. Yeah. (laughs) All good. All good. Have a nice dinner. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, have a good one. Bye.